Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Chicago's air quality is really bad, and we can't blame it all on the Canadian wildfires either. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. In the first six months of the year, we had more air pollution advisories than any other year since 2012. Today, we're talking about how this increasingly common occurrence is affecting our health in the long run. We're joined now by Anastasia Montgomery, a researcher with Northwestern's Climate Change Research Group and a Ph.D. student in the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Northwestern. Also with us is Zach Edelman, executive director of the Lake Michigan Air Directors Consortium, or LADCO. Zach, the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency has issued what's known as an air pollution action day for the 13th time this year. What condition does our air have to be in for the EPA to declare an advisory? Yeah, an advisory is a high pollution day. We have uh, really sophisticated scientists that work for Illinois EPA, forecasters that look at uh, weather. They look at kind of the conditions of different polluting sources. And when they forecast that we're going to have unhealthful air pollution, they'll issue an air quality alert. Yeah. Well, um, it's only July, <laughs> and we've had 13 of these action days. I mean, are you concerned? Uh, yes, in that, you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do with, with improving air quality here in Chicago. May and June typically are the worst air pollution months mm-hmm. in Chicago. Okay. Um, and every year we have air quality alerts. Uh, this year we saw levels of air pollution that last week of June in particular, where we had some fire smoke coming into the region. That was really atypical. What are your thoughts on that, Anastasia? Yeah, definitely. As Zach said, typically we're thinking about um, the summer ozone season in Chicago. So we're still not out of the woods yet. And it's definitely worthwhile for people to keep looking at these air quality advisory days. Um, The reason why the EPA is putting out these action days, it means that we need to modify our behavior so that we're not getting these negative health consequences from elevated air pollution. So, Zach, do we have more bad air quality days ahead of us? As Stacy said, we're still in the middle of the ozone season here. Um, And so, yes, uh, when we have hot weather, we're in a, a pretty bad drought right now. So when we have hot weather, no rain coming through, uh, we will continue to have air pollution events. The fires are still burning in Canada. We're not in the fire season for the the U.S. yet, which will happen starting in September, October, November. So we'll start to see some smoke coming into the the region from from those events as well. Um, So, you know, like Stacey said, keep an eye on these air quality alerts because they they really are helpful. Mm -hmm. And and Stacey, let's let's dig into... The wildfires for, for just a moment. I mean, it's, it's not just those Canadian wildfires that we know that are creating this poor air quality. So can you talk a bit more about other contributors to this problem? Yeah, of course. I think the kind of air pollution that I'm really focusing on yeah. is the kind of polluting sources within Chicago that contribute to poor air quality year round in Chicago. So of course, there are like different kind of meteorological 
a phenomena that contribute to a fire season, that contribute to um, certain kind of pollutants being more elevated, for example, ozone, which we had previously mentioned. Um, but then there are also just things like highways, power plants, um, industrial sources mm -hmm. that are constantly elevating pollution at the source. Um, so kind of chronic long-term exposure to those pollutant sources mm -hmm. are also are, are also detrimental to your health. Our transportation, it's cars, trains. I mean, I was looking at someone driving ahead of me earlier this week and just clouds of black smoke coming from his pickup truck. And I was like, yuck. Definitely. Yeah, we see transportation as contributing about half of the emissions for, for certain pollutants. Yeah. And, and we're talking transportation highways, uh, uh, rail ships, mm -hmm. planes, the whole the whole gamut of transportation sources. So and the faster we can get to EVs, the better. Yeah, moving away from fossil fuels in our transportation uh, uh, systems, moving away from fossil fuels in our, in our energy and our um, buildings as well. And then there are sources that some people don't think about. Um, there's a class of pollutants called volatile organic compounds, VOCs. These come from anything that has a strong odor, from gasoline, to personal care products like deodorant and perfumes, mm. uh, trees. Um, and, you know, when you have a dense population area like you do in Chicago in a city, there's enough of a cumulative impact of these personal care products that actually can have a pretty significant impact on air, air pollution. Wow. So I'm curious about Chicago's typical levels, Stacey. I mean, it's not that great to begin with, as I said earlier, right? Where are we usually? Yeah, definitely. Um, so usually uh, we can think of the city of Chicago in being non-attainment for ozone. Um, I guess we can take a step back and figure out what ozone is. Uh, it's this complicated pollutant that is formed through secondary processes in the atmosphere. So that means we're not just driving a car and creating ozone. It's the pollutants coming out of the car, recombining with other pollutants in the atmosphere and forming ozone. So the fact that Chicago is in non-attainment for ozone means that it's a really tricky kind of chemical to try to handle. Um, so Chicago is not doing great for ozone levels. But then if we think about nitrogen dioxide and particulate matter, mm -hmm. um, those are other health hazardous pollutants that the EPA regulates. Uh, now, the sensors that the EPA have put out doesn't say that we have like particularly bad air pollution. But what my research focuses on is when you don't have EPA sensors, what are happening between those places? And if you look at places like highways, industrial emission sources, we are getting levels, at least we're simulating levels yeah. that are, are very high and also detrimental and perhaps not being captured by the same kind of EPA sensors network. Are, are you finding levels that you expected though, or were there surprises yeah, um, I think one kind of surprising thing uh, is that um, where pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide and particulate matter are high in Chicago, ozone is actually low. Oh. So just depending on where you are in the city, your pollution levels will be different. That's just part of the way that the chemicals are interacting in the atmosphere. Um, so, But this also doesn't mean that you'll never get a break from air pollution. Um, it just depends on what you're more sensitive to. And certain days are better than other days. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more of that later uh, uh, on the program. Air pollution, though, Zach, I mean, it, it has improved over the last couple of decades, right? The Clean Air Act since 1970 has been a, a, a enormous success. It, it really is a great success story of what, you know, happens when federal legislation drives partnerships with state, local, and tribal governments to encourage 
industry and you know producers of goods and services to continue to produce and uh, and 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 make a profit, but do it in a in a cleaner, uh, mm-hmm. more efficient way. Um, we have the best air quality we've ever had in Chicago. Um, air but what po- can, what can we do to make it better? So air pollution levels have driven down dramatically um, because of the Clean Air Act. To make it better, we need to we need to keep our foot on the gas. Basically, we need to learn from from our successes of the Clean Air Act. Yeah. Um, we need to continue to, um, you know, get people working for EPA, state regulatory programs. They're always looking for good people, technical people, communications people to do the work. Um, and at the individual levels, like what, what can I do? What can the folks listening do? Yep. And at the individual level, definitely heed the air quality alerts. Um, you know, they tell you two different things. When an air quality alert is issued... They tell you what to do to avoid health impacts. They also tell you a list of activities to avoid when we're predicting bad air pollution. Don't fill up your get your, your car in the middle of the day. Um, try to take public transit. Mm-hmm. Um, don't run your lawnmower. So there's there's always a list of, of items that you, you can you can do, a list of activities that you can do. Yeah, run your dryer at night. Exactly. I've always heard that exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. I want to add another voice to the conversation. Steve Mosikowski is here. He's the Director of Respiratory Care at the Rush University Medical Center and Assistant Professor at Rush. Thanks for being here, Steve. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's dive deeper into the physical health impacts here of of air pollution exposure. I want to first look at the short term, Steve. Uh, I mean, when the wildfire smoke first hit Chicago recently, I, for one, was noting the burning eyes and the throat and uh, folks were coughing, feeling very sick. One of our newsletter readers, Renuka, she wrote, uh, quote, the tingle in the throat with a cough, it still exists for me and my entire family. So I want you to just talk more about how this air quality can affect us in the short term. Yeah, in the short term, that's exactly right. You know, people can start to feel that burn in their throat, that itchy throat. It can also affect the eyes, so itchy, watery eyes. Once your eyes start to water, you can also have a, a runny nose. But people who are sensitive to this particles that are in the air, you find particles and the large particles, you know, they can find out that their work of breathing is a little bit harder. So they might be wheezing a little bit. They have to be very aware of what they're walking outside into. Mm -hmm. And as mentioned before, knowing the air quality that you're walking out into is the first step in being well prepared. Yeah. Like what's the best course of action if you start to feel sick, I mean, do you just wait it out? Is that if is you're that somebody it? who's normally healthy and you have no uh, other issues with your breathing, you can. You know, you stay well hydrated so that you help your body to clear everything, all the dirt that it's breathing in. If you're somebody who has health issues, you want to maintain and follow your health provider's advice. So stay on that asthma action plan. Stay on the right medications or COPD, or interstitial lung disease, everything that you have that you've already discussed with your physician as a plan of care for yourself. When you're dealing with these types of of poor air quality days that we've been seeing recently, you want to be well aware of what you need to do to maintain your own health. Gosh, it was awful. I mean, the the same Reset newsletter reader, Renuka, is also asking about the long-term implications for this and and just how we can be better equipped next time. What would you say? Long term, it is it is about being well prepared, right? And if you are somebody who suffers from a type of lung disease, asthma, COPD, and the others, 
you have your information ready so that you have your medication that you need for at least a week. If you're an asthmatic and you go outside, you want to always have that inhaler and your spacer with you, not just your inhaler. Right. And you want to make sure that you have enough medication in there. You're not going to take something that's almost empty. You want to take your full one with you. What about masking? That's what I ended up doing to, hey, to try to help. People that are more sensitive to the when it was as high as it was over 200 on the air quality index, it was a good idea for just about everybody to mask. And when they do mask, it's an N95 or a KN95 mask, a mask that's designed to help remove the particles before you breathe them in. And it has to be worn correctly. If you don't wear it correctly, it's not going to work correctly for you. Yeah. The surgical masks that we were using before, the bandanas, the neck gaiters, all of that kind of stuff, that's not going to work when you're dealing with this fine particulate matter that's floating around in the air. I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, so, Anastasia, back to you. I mean, what do you recommend that folks do within their homes mm-hmm. to protect themselves? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that you can do in your home is uh, close the windows and set your kind of air circulation to be recirculating. Um, your HVAC system will have these filters that can, um, you know, make sure that your air is getting cleaned. Uh, But if you don't have access to that, like I live in a 110-year-old apartment. Mm -hmm. I have no air circulation. Um, So what do you do? I went to the library. I I took my work outside. I left my house and tried to stay outside in these spaces that have better air circulation centers um, than just like what was available to me at my home. Like I definitely was feeling the similar kind of um, scratchiness, eye-watering behaviors. Um, But yeah, places like the public library, movie theaters, you know, um, (laughs) these places have, you know, they're, they're specifically looking to recirculate air in these kinds of ways. So taking a break from, yeah, whatever environment you can be in. Great tips. Any thoughts there, Zach, on, on what people can do within their homes? Yeah. Indoor air purifiers are helpful. If you can, if you can run an air purifier, uh, you know, in the rooms that you're spending the most time in, like your bedroom overnight, um, you know, if you're, if you're cooking, using a vent fan, uh, to the extent that you, you can. Um, and again, I'll say it again, the, in, the, the, heed the state air quality alerts, cause they, they yeah. have really great tips on what people can do. And it, I think re- a lot of people started paying attention yep, yep. recently. And, and it's sad that it takes, you know, something major like wildfire smoke blanketing the air for people to be like, Oh, maybe I should be looking at AQIs. <laughs> right. Uh, anything to add there, Steve? I, I think a lot of people are in, in Anastasia's boat, right? Living in older Chicago apartments, no central AC or AC units. I would agree. And I think going to your local shelter that provides like a cooling center that you can go to that can provide you with the air conditioned air that you need that makes it so much easier to breathe for most of these people. For most people, if you think about what your preparations are for a storm and you have a room in your home that you go to to protect yourself from a storm, you can do the same thing by creating a clean room in your home. And that is a room that you can close the windows, close the doors, make sure that it is air conditioned. And if it's, if, if you have a window air conditioner, you can recirculate that air. So you're not pulling in the outside pollutants Mm -hmm. and then have your portable air cleaner in that room and make sure it's a HEPA filter that you're running on your portable air cleaner, not something that produces ozone because there are cleaners out there that do that, and yeah. that's not going to be helpful. But 
create that clean room. Don't smoke in that room or allow anybody else. Don't light a candle. Make sure it's a room that doesn't right. have Candles. a fireplace or, yes. or you know, a wood pellet stove or anything else in there. And don't let it be your kitchen either where you might have a gas stove and you're going to be running the gas stove or the gas oven and creating, creating pollutants. Steve, I feel know. like you're listing all the things that I currently do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong. It sounds like I'm like, get rid of all the candles. You know, get them away from the gas stove. And so- don't vacuum in that room. Like while you're in there trying to breathe easy, don't create more dust. Don't do those types of activities that do that. And then one other thing is that if you have a clean room, Try to think about the rest of your family members, too, if you have them. If you have little kids that are used to being outside and the air quality is poor outside, bring them inside. Get them in the clean room. If you have a pet, don't forget about your pet that's outdoors. If it's an outdoor pet all the time, yes. bring your pet in. Put your pet in the clean room as long as you don't have allergies to that pet. Steve Mosakowski is the Director of Respiratory Care at the Rush University Medical Center and Assistant Professor at Rush And Zach Edelman is Executive Director of the Lake Michigan Air Directors Consortium. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Chicago's seen some particularly bad air quality in the past few days. But this problem isn't exactly new. Residents who live in neighborhoods with heavy industry have been dealing with the effects of air pollution for a while. As we've been talking about, air quality can really vary depending on where you live. Anastasia, why does air quality vary so much in Chicago by neighborhood? Yeah, the answer to that is actually in the atmospheric chemistry. So when we're thinking about these air pollutants, they actually have relatively short lifetimes in the atmosphere. This contrasts to something like carbon dioxide, which we hear about has like thousand year lifespans. Things like nitrogen dioxide, ozone, particulate matter, um, they all have like different timescales. So nitrogen dioxide, it can react with other pollutants relatively quickly on, on the order of hours. So pollutants that, that emission sources emitting nitrogen dioxide will be near the source because by the time that it you know gets lifted into the air, it'll react with other things and become something perhaps more inert or something more toxic like ozone. Um, so as a result, transport matters, but so do these emission sources. Oh, so I mean... Just so that everyone's on the same page here, I mean, how much does it vary when mm-hmm. we look at Chicago specifically? Give us yeah. some examples there. Yeah, if we're looking at like the lowest level of air pollution that I simulated in that research that you just referred to, um, the lowest level and the highest level, they're about like two times difference. So one place has half the concentration, the other place has, um, you know, twice that level. Where were you looking at? Um I think what we're looking at is, for example, the west side of Chicago and central Chicago have really high nitrogen dioxide levels. And those correspond to just major highway emission sources. Um, We definitely see hot spots over the highways. Uh, And yeah, so those places have twice as much um, pollution compared to if you look in more like suburban areas that have a lot more, a lot less traffic, a lot more residential area, a Mm -hmm. lot less kind of industrial commercial sources. Those have pretty low levels of nitrogen dioxide. Are you able to pinpoint where in the Chicago region has the best air quality and where has the worst? Yeah. Specifically based on your research? Yeah. um, So I've done some other research because one of the reasons why we haven't really discussed the way that these hyper local sources are influencing air quality Mm -hmm. is that we as scientists just haven't really had the tools or the capability to actually be able to look at this. Um, Recent technologies like these chemical transport models that I use, satellite observations that 
like NASA and other kind of organizations put out, those are actually filling in the gaps between like these EPA sensors. So yeah, given these oh. recent technological advancements, we can actually start drilling down on neighborhood scale variations in air quality. So all this time, you were, scientists weren't able to drill down to the specifics? Um, no, it was using like our best estimates, what we could use thoughtfully and also yeah. looking at, for example, health impacts, like assuming that areas of high health impacts also are associated with areas of high pollution. Um, in some research that I have done, that isn't necessarily always the case okay. because some people are more susceptible to pollutants and, than other people. So if you look at someplace like central Chicago, we've got the loop. There's a high level of uh, healthcare access in the loop, a high level of pollutants. So the kind of health effects aren't as great as, for example, in the south side of Chicago, where there is actually, we see worse health outcomes associated with air pollution. So uh, again, you're seeing some of the same correlations here, right? As mm-hmm. we change our positioning, that the, the health outcomes are different yes. across the city and they yes. vary. Yes, definitely. And they vary because it's kind of like, there's a two-factor um, interaction happening. One is the exposure to air pollution, and that is varying across the city. Right. And then the other is just the underlying health and the healthcare access that a neighborhood has. That also influences the air pollution-related health outcomes. Um, we just had Steve on. He was telling you about like having your medications in line, having the best practices in line, being able to escape the bad air pollution. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't have those things, then the air quality outcomes are going to be worse, regardless of air pollution level. So yeah. So on that same note, I mean, from your perspective, um, and just with your scientific background. What are potential solutions here? It sounds, first of all, like some better tools, right? Yeah. <laughs> to be able to track this stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Continuing to develop these kind of technological advancements, um, that for me is something that I'm really interested in. Better models, better satellites, better observations. Um, but another thing is also being able to better communicate with communities about what to do on air pollution access days, you know? And also I think there's a lot of um, environmental justice work that's done in Chicago that has been really successful at pushing back from these polluting emission sources that do negatively affect certain neighborhoods Mm -hmm. compared to other neighborhoods. So I think it's really great the way that the community already is, like, motivated about pushing, like, what they want um, for their health. That's yeah. really important. And you talked earlier about some of the things that you do personally, but I mean, is there anything else you want to share about what you do regularly just to protect yourself from poor air quality? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, first I check the, you know, the weather forecast, double check that the, it's not an air pollution action day. Um, if it is, things like uh, strenuous exercise outside, you're actually breathing more, you know? Yes. I, I bike everywhere. I don't have a car. Yeah. Um, I'll avoid biking. I'll take the bus uh, instead. Um, but, you know, other things as I, you know, look forward to the future. I see a um, lot of runners out there yeah. on the sweltering days. Yeah, that's that's dangerous, uh, including like the heat aspect of everything. We live in we live in an environment. Right. Um, but yeah. Which also, is a whole other conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about heat another time. But yeah. Thinking also about like personal choices that I can make that also contribute to this poor air quality. Like. Um, in the future, when I look towards buying a house, you can think about like, yeah, gas stove versus electric stove. Mm-hmm. There is an air quality difference that natural gas is an air pollutant um, that helps in the creation of ozone, which we were previously talking about. Right. Um, and yeah, like 
you know, gas water heaters. It's the same thing. Uh, you can think about the way that um, the way that you use fossil fuels also contributes to the air pollution. So I try to be mindful for myself for that. Yeah. And yeah, I'm still young. I'm setting up my life. It's pretty easy to, you know, make these choices for myself right now. Anastasia Montgomery is a researcher at Northwestern's Climate Change Research Group. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Sasha. I want to turn now to another voice. Gina Ramirez is the Midwest Outreach Manager at Natural Resources Defense Council. Welcome back, Gina. Hi, Sasha. Good to talk with you. I know you have been living on the southeast side for your entire life. We've had you on this program to talk about issues just like this. Gina, just remind us how prevalent of an issue air quality is where you live. Yeah, so I live on the southeast side of Chicago, which is one of the most industrial parts of the city. There's about 200 industry that line the Calumet River. So on any typical day, you'll see the visual blight of industry with large piles. Um, you, you can taste metal in your mouth passing some of these facilities, and you see dusty streets and foul odors. So um, you can't escape the industrial past and present and future on the southeast side. Wow. You said you can taste metal in your mouth. Wow. Yes. That's bad. I mean, has air quality affected people that you know in the area? Yes. Uh, you know, the southeast side has some of the highest COPD and asthma rates in the city. Um, on any given day, you can go past an elementary school and see an asthma van parked outside. So we know that our children are hit first and worst. Wow. Um, and, you know, we have very vulnerable populations. Um, I'm a third generation resident. So, you know, my, my mother has uh, asthma. She grew up by the U.S. Steel facility. And so I'm very concerned on these, you know, poor air quality these days that we've been seeing um, for her to go outside. So she's been unfortunately staying in, indoors mm. a lot this summer. So is that is that how she basically, you know, works around the issues, just avoiding it, staying indoors? Yeah, I mean, that's what we can do right now. Um, you know, we are supplying masks. Um, I, you know, went to work <laughs> during one of the days where the Canada wildfires were impacting Chicago. Mm -hmm. It was actually a day of a, a big rally about coal ash and, um, you know, community members. We all had our N95 masks. Uh, we were there to support one another and keep ourselves safe. Um, I think because um, we're seeing more um, poor air quality days, not mm -hmm. only in our communities, which we see day in and out, but, you know, in other parts of the city that um, this is kind of unknown, um, that we're taking like some precautions and, and thinking of ways to protect our communities even more. Like, how do we advocate for, you know, air filters and masks mm -hmm. um, for for environmental justice communities, um, as we're seeing more and more poor air quality days. Um, I myself have a purple air monitor installed at my home. Okay. So um, I actually keep track of that. Like that's part of my morning routine to kind of check the air quality really? in my neighborhood. Yeah. Wake yeah. up, make a cup of coffee and, and turn on your air monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I want to hear more about the enviral, environmental justice part of, of your work. Gina, I mean, what, what's the organizing looking like these days and, and participation levels from folks around you? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many things going on. A lot of our environmental justice partners are working on building decarbonization, as one of your guests before spoke about. Like, not only are we 
constantly day in and out thinking about the poor air quality outside, but within our homes and electrifying our homes because, you know, as um, climate change persists and, um, you know, more wildfires, more extreme heat, um, things impact our health outside. You know, a lot of times we're stuck indoors Mm -hmm. um, and then you have like a gas stove and (laughs) uh, the air quality isn't as great inside. So working on building decarbonization work, um, we know that trucks are um, one of the largest sources of carbon pollution as well as power plants. So, um, you know, we're working on, you know, truck rules with the EPA and trying to, um, you know, just sort of even the playing field here. Our our environmental justice communities are disproportionately impacted um, from all the industry that's concentrated. And so we need to have a cumulative impacts ordinance within the city of Chicago to lessen that burden on us. And that will um, not only clean up the air, but mm-hmm. have amazing impacts on our health. Um, because right now, you know, the life expectancy gap between the north and south side of Chicago is, is 20 years. And we can address that wow. by um, making some of these environmental changes. In your area, in your section of the city, do, do you feel like any progress has been made? Are you seeing change? Um, <laughs> I mean, it still looks the same from... I've lived here my entire life. Yeah. Um, I still see piles. I still see dusty streets. Uh, I still smell terrible smells. But I have faith in the community organizing that's happening, especially with General Iron and um, our ongoing campaign against this mining facility, Invert, that um, the future generations here do not want that same narrative, do not want the tale of two cities within Chicago. So I'm always, you always have to remain hopeful in this work. And so although... Um, it's, I'm not seeing the change as fast as I would like. I am seeing um, some some slow progressive change, and it's not a sprint. It's a marathon yeah, in this work. For sure. Anything else you'd like to see from the, the city or uh, you know, local community just to improve air quality for folks around you? Yeah, I would love for the city to just, you know, uh, pay close attention to the communities that are hit first and worst. Uh, and pass a cumulative impacts ordinance uh, at the city level and at the state level. We need an environmental justice bill yesterday. Mm-hmm. Gina Ramirez is the Midwest Outreach Manager at Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you so much for taking the time, Gina. Thank you. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Micah Yason and edited by Ethan Schwab and Dan Tucker. Now, if you want a daily dose of Chicago conversation, I know something I think that you'll like. The Reset newsletter is brief and informative. It has a little bit of everything, events around the city, a digest of a big news story, and a little preview of what we're talking about on Reset. So sign up at wbez.org slash Reset News. All right, that's it for me. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Talk soon. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.